It's episode 76 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Joining me today are J.P. Breen, and uh, I guess we have him online today because he was a little sick, and I said, don't come to the house, but uh, Ryan Top is also here. Yo. You feeling okay? I'm I'm uh, getting through it. They I, gave I cleared you, the sinuses. They gave you some some good drugs to clear everything out? Yeah, I, I'm on a, a regimen. It's it's definitely a regimen. Okay. There's there's times and everything. So. So it it was a good time to be cooked up in the house for a week. Yeah, it was actually. It worked out very nicely that uh, we had some some days off in there built in. Because otherwise, I would have been missing a lot more work than I would have. Yeah, JP, do you survive the cold? I mean, if I said no, would you believe me? Uh, maybe. No. It, yeah, we got through. We got through it. Okay. It was. It was very, very cold here. It was crazy, but we, it was one of those things that, um, campus didn't actually like campus closed, but then we still had to do stuff on campus just because it was basically like faculty and staff didn't have to go, but like there were still other, other obligations for classes and whatnot that, that people had still show up because for graduate students, they're just like, yeah, we can still make you do it. So we ended up still having to traverse across campus and it was, it was quite cold. A lot, a lot of layers, a lot of face, like scarf across the face and uh and, and wondering why you know these things happen like how that can happen in terms of it like being negative 50 in terms of the wind chill yeah well now it's a good 90 degrees warmer well no no no, not quite 90 that was wind chill but it's like 40 degrees around here now so we we increased yeah. by a good 60 degrees i think it'll it'll melt away and we'll all be uh outside i don't know playing baseball or whatever pretty soon so anyways yeah, and it'll get super cold yeah right when the season starts it's going to get shitty again uh remember you can help fans find this podcast by rating and reviewing milwaukee's tailgate on apple podcasts and spotify we want listener questions so follow milwaukee's tailgate on twitter at mke tailgate email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our facebook page you can also follow the three of us on twitter and you'll find that in our milwaukee's tailgate twitter bio and finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. And the re-release of Simply Dusty Chamomile Saison is out now. Also, get 20% off the merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKETailgate. There's a new hoodie that came out just in time for the frigid temperatures. There's also a blue and yellow t-shirt if you want to rock the brewer's colors as well with the Carbon 4 logo on it. So uh, check all that out or visit the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard. Find their beers at your local retailer. And as always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4 beer brilliance milwaukee steelgate is also sponsored in part by sound devices a premier manufacturer of audio production gear and they're located right here in wisconsin sound devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of oscar winning films and popular tv shows and if you're looking to create a professional sounding podcast check out the mix pre 3 and mix pre 6 for more information visit sounddevices.com okay so there wasn't much that happened this week but we had a little bit of i don't know kind of news reports trickling out about free agency that were interesting to brewers fans um probably most notable uh the astros signed wade miley which could have a ripple effect in the fact that it looked like the astros brewers and braves were the front runners for dallas keichel 
So now the Brewers, I don't know, maybe are, have a 50-50 shot, possibly, at adding Keuchel to the rotation. What are your thoughts on that, JP? It's interesting. I mean, he's obviously been the guy that we've, I think we've all looked at and said, you know, he's probably the best arm available on on the free agent market. And we, you know, I know that I, I've heard that the Brewers are, or have been, I suppose, I, I guess I haven't heard anything recently, but have been um, sniffing around at different trade options for, for starting pitchers. So it's certainly been something on their mind. Uh, we've seen some things that it sounds like the Brewers are still in on um, Corey Kluber. And so if, if we do take the idea that they have been sniffing around, it does make sense that they would also be in on the best free agent starter that that's out there right now. Um, I think... I think if they can make it work in the in the payroll, um, which I have no reason to think that they can't, I think that he would obviously be a really uh, he would be a nice solid addition. Um, I think if there's a way that they can acquire somebody with a little bit more high end high end talent, obviously Kluber fits into that. Uh, Trevor Bauer fits into that. There are, are guys that you could say would strengthen the top end of it. But Keuchel comes in and would say, if you've got Shasin, you've got Keuchel, and then it gives you a little bit more stability to know what you have. Of course, it makes the Brewers then have a lot of a lot more um, decisions to make in terms of roster roster crunches. Um, but I think getting down, getting Keuchel out of the 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 AL will help a little bit, and his his numbers may not spectacular as they were in 2017 but he was still quite solid last year so i think he would be an improvement i don't think he would be like if i was going before the the off season started and this is you know something kind of we talked about like he wouldn't be my ideal guy that i would be fighting for um but if they can if they can make it work in terms of the payroll then yeah i think it would be stupid to say he's not he wouldn't be a useful addition um I'm not sure how much better he actually makes the starting rotation is the, is the question. I think he does make them better. I'm just not necessarily, I, if he makes them better, it's because I think he offers a little bit more certainty than a lot of the volatility we've been talking about with the starting rotation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Ryan, you know, we got a question from uh, Jay Google and he asks, uh, does it make sense for the Brewers to go big for Keuchel and pay say, th- you know, three years for $60 million is, is that the kind of thing? Because that that's around the numbers that were initially kind of being pushed out for him, I think, when the Brewers yeah. were connected. Yeah, it does. If you're willing to accept that the back end of that is probably going to be, if you're talking three years, that last year he's, you know, maybe going to be average to slightly below average. If the way things are tracking now, if you look at his his DRA, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, his, his CFIP the last four years, you go from 79 to 88 to 87 to 96. You're looking at a guy who, you know, clearly isn't quite what he was when he was the great pitcher who won the uh, the Cy Young back in 2015. But there's still a lot to, to be said for him there. And the switch to the NL is a big one. Like that does really matter. And I think getting him out of the American League uh, would help him in that way. And also, I think the Brewers can offer some of the same defensive upside that the Astros do, so he's not going to lose a lot of defensive help that way. But you're going to have to accept that on the back end of the deal, 
it might be bad now well but you're talking about the back end of a deal for a guy who would be you know 30 ages 31 through 33 it's also it's a three-year deal like what the back end of the deal you're talking about like one year where he might not be what you want right and the reason i bring that up is because i've i've spoken to people and there's kind of this opinion when you're looking at what the brewer's history is with free agent starters over the recent history the the names that come up would be you know supon wolf loche and garza and all four of those deals ended badly they were bad pitchers in the last year of the deal now in some cases they were good enough before that with loche and wolf they were good in the first few years of the deal good enough that you just accept that that last year is going to be you know kind of rough but i think that this is what you're going to see on a different scale with keiko keiko's a better pitcher than any of those guys were um and so i think you're going to see better performance from him up front but you are going to see a degradation towards the end probably and you're going to be paying him you know as that question asked 20 million dollars a year so you sort of have to accept and i do 100 percent accept that yeah, you, you can deal with that. The Brewers will be out of Ryan Braun's contract by the third year of that deal. Um, they will be, at this point, I think they have, like, for the 2021 season right now, they have, like, $35 million committed. Now, that doesn't include anything from uh, from guys who are uh, in arbitration, but they don't have a ton of money committed to them. You can accept that maybe that's going to be not great money spent at that point to get him for this year and for next year where I think he can be a huge, huge help to that. I think that's in a, a way that like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's a little insane because I mean, when you're talking about Wolf and Loesch, they were how old Keuchel would be at the end of this deal or older when they signed those like Keuchel's never, you're not talking about guys at the same age range. No, you're not. But you're and you keep about, talking about how there's this guaranteed fall off where three years does not seem like a big risk for a guy who's still going to be in his early 30s when that deal ends. It's not a guaranteed fall off, but you would generally. Well, but you're talking that. about it like it is a guaranteed fall off, like prepare for this, you know, <laughs> terrible final season. Well, be be ready that he's not going to be in the final year what you want at the beginning because the chances are good he's not going to be chances no. are good you're not going to have a 20 million a guy everybody goes so yeah it's your 20 million dollar a year ace uh in year three of that deal that's probably not going to happen so there there are a couple of things on that number one if he was an actual ace or if you were talking about that he wouldn't cost potentially three or 60 million like right um and it's also important to recognize about it's it's important to recognize like skill set right like he's not a guy who throws in the mid 90s and is going to have to learn how to cope with throwing in the high 80s no and he may be one of those guys who tricky lefties you know who end up finding another gear in their early to mid 30s and figure something else out and figure out a new way to get people out that could very easily happen but I'm i just, don't know I don't even know if it be a new way. I mean, he throws upper nineties with four different pitches. I mean, I don't think he's, I, and I don't upper, upper nineties, no, upper eighties, upper, upper, whatever. You know what I mean? Everyone knows. Well, that's a big difference. Uh, right. But anyone who has followed baseball knows that Keiko doesn't throw in the upper nineties. Uh, but if you, I don't, I don't necessarily know enough about like, 
I'd have to look at the the styles a little bit more to make sure that I I would stand by this. But he reminds me much more of like uh, Mark Burley, kind of um, John Garland, like the kind of guys that just are solid for a very long period of time. Like guys that the the thing that Keiko brings is the ability to throw 200 innings in a in an environment in which 200 innings doesn't really happen anymore in a level in which you know he's solid i mean his dra last year was was about 3.9 um and 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 he's solid like he's a he's a good workhorse number 3 and if you look at the fact that lance lynn made 3 years 30 million and lance lynn's dra was like 5 something and any, I, I actually like as much as we've talked about like the labor market and how everything is been. I have no idea how Lansland made three, three years, thirty million. Like he was not good last year. Um, but like Tyler Chatwood last year made almost forty million over three years. The idea that like Dallas Keuchel, a guy that you can say is going to give me, you know, three eight to four zero ERA, give me one hundred and eighty two hundred. 200 innings for you know two to three years like that's not exciting and yeah you know the brewers probably have some guys on the on the the team that could offer like the same kind of like um the same era maybe not over the same amount of innings but he brings a stability that i think would be important now i don't think that bringing keichel into the team actually moves the needle for me all that much in terms of win total i don't I don't know how you guys feel about that. I mean, I, there's something to be said for stability in the rotation. Like, they know that you have a guy yeah. that you can pencil in for that. Because even, even Shasin, I think, we're all prepared for a different performance from him in 2019 than we saw in 2018. Because that was, that was completely unexpected. I think if Shasin would have been a mid-four guy, like, we would have said, well, that's kind of what you signed, you know? So I think yeah. to get a Keuchel where you can say, let's get a guy that we're confident that will at least give us a sub four, you know, uh, ERA or whatever on the season and hopefully eat innings. He kind of had some injury issues in both uh, 16 and 17. He was, yeah. you know, 100, 150, 160 innings in the season. But he was, you know, 238, I think I saw in 2015 when he won the Cy Young and he was up over 200 innings last year. So. Um, yeah. you know, there's some variability. But, I kind of feel like that would be almost the bigger downside is you sign a guy like that and then maybe he has some injury issues, but you're never going to eliminate injury concerns from any free agent you sign. Any pitcher. No, and, and I think one of the biggest things that I mean in terms of like not, I, I think uh, you're 100% right. And, it, you know, it's something that I mentioned too is like the, the stability there is important. And I think that that's something that, you know, the, the team could lack a little bit. Are, is currently lacking but like if we said right now they're a, a 85 86 win team if they sign dallas keichel i'm not all of a sudden saying they're a 90 win team they're i think it like shortens the error bars a little bit yeah i think you say he's probably if i maybe uh, uh adding a win but like uh, and and if we're talking about contracts like this is one of the big reasons why guys aren't getting big contracts because you can look at dallas keichel and say I mean, does he add that much more than like Brandon Woodruff, who I'm not paying anything? I mean, maybe a little bit. And and I think that that is actually one of the big reasons why teams aren't paying guys much more is because the like the 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 recognition of like 
volatility season to season, the like the idea that is how much better is he than guys you are paying who have their their salaries artificially depressed. And like that's one of the reasons why like for Keiko I'm like nor I I would say like 10 years ago I'd be looking at that and saying absolutely yeah you have to get somebody that has that proven track record you have to get somebody in who's doing all of these things. but at this point you're like I mean he might not be better than what they already have I mean he's I and again he brings certainty I think he probably brings a little bit of upside too but like if you told me this year that one of Dallas Keuchel or Corbin Burns were going to put up a 3-5 ERA with 160 innings. I could see both of them doing that. Sure, but would he be better than whoever your last starter out is going to be? Almost certainly. Like I would I would nudge it up a winner two total. Like I I, I, I think said, I was saying like 89, I'd say 90 91 then. Would be right. My I, thought. Said, I said that you would bump it up a winner, a winner or two, and like shorten the error bars. Like I'm not yeah. saying he's not adding anything. That's not my argument. I'm making an argument about like why, like all of these great things that we're saying about Dallas Keuchel. He offers certainty. He offers you know a good middle of the rotation, maybe a number two if you get a, a good year of him. Like all of these things that we're saying. Then why is nobody signing him? Oh sure, but I mean that's this market is just whack out. What just it's, it's not, stupid? Is no. it? Hold on a second. No. We keep saying this market is is weird or odd or whatever, but it, it, it's not. We've it's seen normal. this now a few times, so maybe we need to accept like this is the new normal, this, which again is how they're yeah. evaluating players and contracts. Yeah, it's but it's a sign that something is broken with the market. I mean, you can no, say, it's you know, the, the funny normal, thing is I don't know it's... if anything's broken with the market. What's broken is how players are compensated. So like the money and how it's being spread around, it shouldn't go to one ball player. Like I think most teams realize that's not the best way to allocate your money, but the guys who should be getting that money, the younger players who are providing that value just aren't getting it because they don't right. need to and give them the money. Absolutely. And it's not, the system isn't, the system isn't broken. The system is being, is being optimized right now. Teams are doing what is absolutely rational. They're getting better and better at allocating their money based on the system that's in place. What's and Steve's exactly right. The problem is it does make more sense to not pay Dallas Keuchel a bunch of money. No, you're right. It's the problem is the system, not the, not the decisions being made by individuals within that system. Yeah, and we're not going to yeah, and we're not going to solve the issues with the system today in this podcast. So, um well, we, I we, we, might. we we could get close. So, you know, if the right people are listening, we we could get close to it, but I don't I don't think it's going to happen. But anyways, we do have a Patreon question from Adam Post. And he asked about being linked to Kluber but or linked to Keichel. Um but he also asked uh about the continued link to Corey Kluber. Um, and if that's a realistic target for this Brewers team. And we're going to go over baseball prospectus, just put out its Brewers top 10 prospects, which would probably have some influence on whether or not they could go out and get a Corey Kluber in a trade. So is is that a realistic target for this Brewers organization right now? I mean, the way I look at it is, I don't know how Cleveland would make that deal without getting Keston Hero back in it. Keston Hero plus Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff and probably something else as well. So you're talking about three years of Corey Kluber on not insane money. So 
And if I'm the Brewers, I'm not doing that. I'm wait. Not hold on a second. Okay. Here, here's here's a question. If they sign Keuchel, and then you can get Kluber for three years, would it make sense to unload some of those guys to do it? Like because if you put Kluber, Kluber and Keuchel together in the rotation for three years. Uh, I don't see how they would make that work financially. Well, I mean, they, they've, they've made moves in tandem before. Dollars. You're talking about you're talking about now upping what is already right now. The Brewers are projected well, to open the year with a hundred fourteen million dollar payroll, which is about ten million more than they've ever been in their history. You're talking about adding another forty million dollars in salary to that. Right? I, you, you know, but, it, it's not my money, and we keep saying, "Well, they've never gone this high before." But we also hear about the record profits in baseball. We don't know what they could potentially spend. I mean, right. you're talking about going to like 155, 160-ish. But, but again, like the 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 entire point of like how inflation works and how revenue sharing works and all of this stuff, you should expect payrolls to grow year on year. And the fact that it hasn't grown in a lot means to me that it probably could grow by quite a bit. I don't know if it could go 40 million, and there's no way we can know. But we there's no we way always to, reference. There's no we always reference what? like a high payroll and what was it like 2014 when they were at like 110? Yeah. I mean, I mean like, that's and, five seasons ago. Would it be crazy if they could spend, you know, 30 to $40 million more in a season? No, I mean, probably not. I, I think every single, what was it last year? I thought I saw it was like 60% of the teams in MLB had their highest payroll ever. Right. Which like, which is they how should. it works. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, it. we would be surprised to see that number. But, I mean, at, at a certain point, should we be surprised? You know, I mean. I, I mean, I would be pretty surprised with both of them. I wouldn't be. I would be. I would be happily the surprised-ish if they were to add another $20 million contract right now. Like, if they were to go out and add Dallas Keiko, that would be one thing. To add both would be it would be really but if you're going to do it and you're in a position to win now i mean you'd have those two for three years you still have you know oh you just said win now and ryan's gonna hate that that sends a yeah he time. doesn't like to win now he likes he likes abstract winning in the future he doesn't like actual winning in the present yeah i, I because totally that, hated last year it was awful that takes well, away the, that takes well, away the fun of building no. a farm system for you no, do not pretend like last year was proof that you like the idea of winning now. <laughs> I love my prospects and I guard them jealously. Again, no, it's, they, just, it, it's it's that you want, you think about competition and you think about the playoffs as being so completely luck driven that you don't want to push all your all your chips in in one or two years. I do not want to push all my chips on in one or two years. That is correct. Um, well, but this but, would be three uh, years, three to four years. <laughs> but I think uh, I don't think that I think in order for the Brewers to make anything happen with Kluber, they'd have to give up here. And I do not think that the team has any appetite to do that whatsoever. That's even what I if they put before. Thank even, you. But even if they were able to put together a rotation like that, if they were able to make a free agent signing and get Kluber. No, I think that I think that if you look at what teams are doing across the league, and I think if you look at what the Brewers are doing, they're putting less and less emphasis on individual pitchers. They're putting more emphasis on pitching depth, and that they understand that young position players are the the most valuable thing in baseball. And right. I do not think that they will move Kesson here. 
Okay. I think they would have to be absolutely blown away by something that you just couldn't say no to. Some sort of really long, a, a second version of Christian Yelich coming along, basically, is what it would would have to be. Because you know, a guy you have under reasonable cost control for like five years. Uh, aside from that, yeah, they're not going to trade Keston here. I don't believe. Okay. Yeah i I would be surprised as well. But I was just thinking if they were able to make a tandem deal like that, you know. That can change the calculus a little bit. So anyways, I referenced uh, baseball prospectuses, uh, Brewers top 10 prospects. We're just going to run through it real quick. We aren't going to like talk about every single guy. But they had uh, Kesson Hira, number one, Tristan Lutz, number two, Zach Brown was third, uh, Corey Ray, Bryce Terang, uh, Mauricio Dubon, Joe Gray, uh, Mario Feliciano, and Lucas Ursig. So is there anything in that list that stands out to you, uh, JP, as being outside the box from what other lists are doing right now. I think, well, this is something that I know Ryan will key in on quite a bit. It's it's Corey Ray being number four is, is different. Um, and the reason why Cor- they have Corey Ray down at number four is that they don't believe in the hit tool, that they just think that, yeah, he hit for a lot of power. Yeah. He hit for some, uh, yeah, he was able to steal a bunch of bases, but um, they just think that going forward, facing better pitching, kind of pitch selection and hit tool is just not good enough to be able to to access that power as he gets further and further in. Um, it's interesting uh, because I think one of the things that you can see in a lot of other lists for BP is that um, that power potential and kind of like top end potential, they tend to actually uh, like quite a bit. So it's just interesting to see like what they'll do with guys who maybe uh, are are a little bit younger and have the same kind of power speed dynamic. I think the one thing that a lot sours a lot of people on Corey Ray is that he's he struggled for a couple of years first, and I think that you know seeing a guy who is supposed to be coming out of college and is a top five pick struggle a couple of years. I think sours a lot of things on it. I mean, this is a, a little bit like what we talked about with with Brett Phillips before. That if you talk about a guy who can hit for some power, play a quality center field defense, and has some speed, you can you can have quite a, a long like. And and I I said kind of Colby Rasmus was a, a an example of this. Like you can have a long career. Yeah, it might not be an impact career like a first division side, but like you can have a long major league career being a power speed guy and playing good defense in center field, even if you're not going to hit for a high average. I mean, Kia Broxton just went for like three pieces. Right. I think what stands out to me most about this list, and yes, I do love me some Corey Ray and seeing him get bumped down a little bit is you know, interesting at least. Well, and, and I, we're, I we're talking about is correct. And we're talking about a difference between like two and four on most lists. Right. Yeah, I think one of the things that really stands out to me, not just this list, but also Keith law released his top 100 and he had a surprise brewer at the back end of it. He had Zach Brown as his second best brewers prospect at number 85 overall. And he really is a believer in Zach Brown. And he's been a guy who he was a big early believer in Corbin Burns. He had him, higher than anybody did for a long time. And he was also a a pretty big believer in Brandon Woodruff early on as well, too. So he is kind of, and he he mentioned them in the write-up and said that he's kind of believing in the Brewers pitching development as part of his belief in Zach Brown to be the next guy to break in probably as a reliever and then 
potentially move to the rotation long term, and he thinks he could be you know a pretty decent pitcher overall. So I think that's really interesting to see BP go with with Brown as number three. But like it's nice to see another another group really buying in on Zach Brown. But there's no there's no list that's existed over the course of this offseason that hasn't said that Zach Brown could do the exact same thing that law just that you described what law said. Like every single one has said that it's just in terms of like how much do you actually value that role? Right. And how much do you want to push in on believing it versus all the other prospects that are out there? You know, when you a guy shows up in the top 100, it's an indication that there's a a really good amount of belief in that guy. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm not expecting to see Brown in the BP top 100. Uh, and BP but, pr- projected him, uh, you know, as a potential three, four, a likely four, five, you know, in the rotation. I mean, so as far as like th- they like him, but you know, let's not expect him to flash something that's going to like really change our minds. He doesn't have overpowering stuff. No, he doesn't. But he could be a you know a very solid starter, which if you can develop those guys instead of having to go out on the free agent market or you know trade for them, that's huge. Especially as JP was pointing out in this era of teams really valuing pitching depth over you know top end guys, having being able to find guys like Zach Brown where you're getting them where'd they get Brown in the fifth round. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what they've been doing with the vast majority of their college starters is they take either high school arms in the second or third round, or they basically just take position players all throughout. And then once they get to the fourth and fifth round, they start turning to college pitching. Um, okay, so interesting name. Uh, thoughts on Joe Gray as the, what do they have him at, seventh prospect or eighth? Yeah, I was I was just a little bit surprised to see Joe Gray that high, considering that they downgraded uh, Corey Ray for his hit tool, and then like bumped up Joe Gray when he has like similar issues. Yeah, my interpretation yeah. of that was they they wanted to dream on Gray, where Ray's not young enough to dream on anymore. Yeah, I think that that makes that makes a lot of sense. It's just. It, I think it's basically they want to say like here is a young guy who who has a whole lot of upside and they just are are kind of bumping up somebody that that is there. Um, for me, I don't think that I, I didn't have Gray in my top in my top ten. Um, I think that there are some pretty big issues in terms of his swing, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I, I agree with them that in terms of the physical capabilities, in terms of what he has in terms of raw power, where he could profile defensively, all of those things, it's really dynamic. But I think for the BP list, what they're really trying to show is that, um, the brewers do a lot of their good, a lot of their good talent has, has, um, has graduated. And we've seen a lot of that starting to graduate. And so, once you get to the back end of the top 10, it is looking at it, it's dreaming rather than, you know, a couple of years ago that we were trying to figure out like who would even make the top 10. Yeah. yeah as we talked about in our, uh, in our, when we talked about this on the minor league podcast, JP and I, we both had Aaron Ashby in the back end of our top tens. And I would, I would feel more comfortable with somebody like Ashby in that position as opposed to a gray. Cause I think Ashby has more of a chance it's less of a long shot. There's not the impact upside that Gray has, but there's far more of a of a probability of him becoming a useful major leaguer. So now, what's interesting is you know it's noted that the the Brewers system looks pretty thin 
um, as far as talent there. But, you know, BP also does their top 25, yeah, or top 10, 25 and under. So that has Hira number one, but you also have Josh Hader, Corbin Burns, Orlando Arcia, Brandon Woodruff, uh, Freddie Peralta. They're all on that list. So part of the Brewers' current ranking is just the fact that they've graduated some pretty good talent that's already had an impact on this this Major League roster. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true. And one of the things, too, that the Brewers are starting to do, and this is something that I think the Fangraphs version of the list pointed out really well, is that after the first couple of, of rounds, um, what the Brewers are really, really good at doing is maximizing really weird talents and, and and trying to look at guys who maybe come in a different arm slot, guys who've got a really great pitch, um, guys who can have some speed, guys who are dynamic and, and defensively. Like They are very, very good at taking something that somebody does and really trying to maximize it because basically what they've done with their 40-man roster is they've tried to load it with guys who can fulfill certain roles and then they can kind of shuffle through a lot of things throughout the season to be able to maximize those individual things that they do very, very well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. It's, it's, you know, like what do you do with a guy that is like Aaron Ashby who, yeah, struggles to maybe throw strikes, but like has a dynamic curveball, and you're just like, look, that can play in the bigs. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with kind of a more well-rounded development as we see this roster really start to take shape over the next couple of years once they really, again, start to have a, a continuous influx. The biggest thing that we see, and we've talked about you know, this in the past, it's like where they have waves of players coming through. And it was like, when is the next real wave of talent coming in, right? We saw it in kind of the, the late 2000s. Uh, with you know Fielder and Weeks and Braun and Hardy and all of these guys and you were, and then once they all came up it was like there was nothing and then you had to wait for this next group to come in and really come up um, and as much as yeah you've got Arcia you've got Hader you've got Burns you've got Woodruff you've got Peralta and all of these guys that have been coming through the system and you're like that's the core of the next team coming up even though that is true you've still got guys that you can go through the system and say like yeah, there are actually some big leaguers here. It's just kind of every year, maybe there is going to be kind of one or two guys that you're looking at to really step in and make a role, which is, you know, Ryan's favorite thing in the world about having young talent come in as a conveyor belt. And then you can trade, you know, the fourth and fifth year players, uh, you know, before they hit their free agency and try to reload your system again, which that's you know, the dream. That's well, what you want. Of course, then, you know, you pretend that like rookies and first years can come in or second years can like come in and automatically adjust to the big league team and like have be just as good as their you know the fifth year guys that left but um you have to be selective about how you do it and well, there are going to be growing pains no doubt yeah i mean it's there are questions about whether or not you can actually ever maximize your talent if you're going to consistently try to get rid of the guys once they're hitting their prime right there are a lot of questions about that it'll be well you don't get rid of everybody you pick and choose who you, you only get rid, you only get rid of the right guys you make all yes. the right decisions and none of the wrong decisions. That's how this yes. works. So we do have a question uh, regarding one of the guys on the top 10. Troy Stokes Jr. is uh, number seven on the BP list. Jason Donlinger asks uh, on a Patreon question, uh, who do you think gets more big league ABs in 2019, Tyrone Taylor or Troy Stokes Jr. and why? I think it's a good question. I'll, I will go out on a limb and say Tyrone Taylor just because – I think even though Troy Stokes, I think, is kind of more ready for an MLB role, Ben Gamble is there 
in, in terms of left field and right field. And Tyron Taylor is is kind of the guy you would look to if you need somebody in center field. Um, maybe it's a little bit different because they might, you know, if anything happened to Kane, they would probably shift Yelich over to center field. But um, I'll say Tyron Taylor just because he offers something a little bit different. And Troy Stokes would basically replicate what Ben Gamble's already doing. I'm good with that as an answer. We have a uh, Twitter question from Brew, Brulette Jade. Is that how you pronounce it? Or am I messing up my French? Brulee? I, I don't. I, I, I speak Italian, not French, so I wouldn't know that one. But that sounds great. Okay. Uh, they ask, uh, where do you guys think the current starting rotation ranks among the NL Central? I think that's a potential to be solid, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it's the worst. So let's kind of take this as the rotation as it stands right now, and then um, I guess what would change with the potential addition of a, a Keuchel? Who, who's more likely, I guess we could talk about Kluber if you wanted, but we'll, we'll focus I mean, on that. The Brewers rotation is good right now. I think it's it's deep, um, but it really doesn't have the high-end guys when you look around at the other teams in the division where you can look at a, you know, in, even in Pittsburgh, a Jamison Tyen, a, uh, in, in Chicago, you've got, you know, obviously like Hendricks and and John Lester and, and guys along that line. St. Louis has Flaherty and... Uh, Martinez the Brewers don't have guys maybe quite of that level at least not proven yet uh, but the depth does give them I think it gives them a floor where they're not going to be the rotation isn't going to be bad so I I would be surprised to see it slip below say Cincinnati or something Cincinnati would have to have so much go right but they have and Derek Johnson now they have what now they have Derek Johnson it's a pitching coach. Oh, yes, yes. So, I mean, they have – and they, they did go out and add a bunch of guys to the, the mix. But I would have a hard time seeing the rotation just, like, completely collapse just because there's so many options. And if something isn't working, they can go to the next guy and, and, and move down the line to the next guy. And I think at least some of these guys are going to click. So I would be surprised to see it could fall completely flat on its face is my – answer jp is it the is it the depth do you think that that keeps this brewers rotation from looking like it would be potentially the worst in the nl central yeah i i think it's got to be the depth right because i think one of the most interesting things and again we talked about this last off season there hasn't been a lot that's changed is almost every single starter that you could be talking about as being a member of the brewers starting rotation on opening day you could see finishing the year with a IBRA or being injured, um, you know, especially with guys with particular injury problems like Nelson and Davies, um, or being like excellent and and having a you know a low three ERA. Like there's just so much volatility through it, and and the only thing is that they must be thinking that you combat volatility with depth, and. We saw that work last year. Um, and so again, right? Like, and this is, this is something that I was trying to articulate an argument with a, a couple of podcasts ago. And, and I don't know if it necessarily came off all that well, but when we're talking about the Brewers rotation being good or being average, like your defense is an idea that depth works. There's no like real 
argument about any individual pitchers because there's so there's such a big margin for error for every single well, not a margin for error but like there there's a huge standard deviation of where you could actually see their performance lie for everybody like Chase Anderson you could see him being a mid threes guy if he is able to turn around or he might not even make the starting rotation uh, Zach Davies could be down in AAA I don't I don't think he has any uh, options left but you get the idea there like he could pitch himself out of the rotation or he could be a guy that we were talking about coming into last year and really go through you mentioned steve earlier that like chassin could be a mid four era guy or he he could be somebody that that worked through as being kind of the stalwart for the brewers over the course of the entire season jimmy nelson who knows like and then you've got rookies like woodruff you've got uh burns and we don't really know what to expect but you could see something really good you could see some a lot of growing pains like there's just so much volatility across the board that it's really uncomfortable uncomfortable for me to say that they're going to be good um because really what i'm saying is like they if not they're throw somebody else in and then you know it'll probably work if you throw enough pieces into the puzzle but like a how long does it take to find the right pieces and b like one the volatility isn't guaranteed to last or like to stabilize over the course of the year. Like just because you have some of that uh, five that's working in April doesn't mean that same five are going to be working in July just because their performance varies so much. So uh, to make an argument that they're going to be good and it's it's purely because of depth and you're just arguing for an idea, which I think maybe could work. Like, I don't know. I don't have enough data to really understand that yet, but last year it seemed to work that way. Uh, but last year the starting rotation actually wasn't very good. It was the bullpen that was really good. I, I don't even think that they were top half in the NL last year in terms of their starting rotation. Yeah, Ryan, how much of it is just a matter of relying on the bullpen to cover innings so you don't have to expose the rotation to as many uh, hitters? Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. That's It's part of the design of what they're going to do. I think they would like to get away from that. I think that their hope is that you know guys like Woodruff and Burns step up and become you know those kind of stalwart starters, but... I don't think they're relying on that at this point. I think they're hoping for it, but it's not something that they necessarily even need to happen because they do have such depth beyond, you know, beyond the starting rotation, they have tremendous depth in the bullpen too. So they're just going to try to throw as many people as they can at the problem, sort it out as they go. And to me, it it's a very underrated approach and it, I think can work. It's underrated because we haven't seen it for more than well, a year. No, I, did. Well, I mean, we but we also saw it work for other teams last year as well. I mean, in the same sort of fashion as what the Brewers were doing, the uh, the A's were doing the exact same thing. I mean, and it worked even better for them than it did for the Brewers. I mean, they got an even higher, I think, return on it than the Brewers did. So, well, it's, their ball their their ballpark is going to help a little bit there. It does. Yes, it does help. But they were able to really cash in on the same sort of strategy as well. I don't think it's, I you know, I don't think that this is some unproven uh, thing that the Brewers were just this this huge outlier. It is unproven. It was literally it it's literally one year, and your your argument for like why it works is literally one other team that did it for one year. Um, the Rays also. For so more, two other teams. You're doing some weird op- opener thing. Eh, yeah, but I mean that wasn't that wasn't why they were successful. They were they were running uh, essentially the same idea as the Brewers were. So so the Brewers had the fourth uh, worst FIP in 
for the NL in terms of starting rotation rotation last year, but um, they were just, just above average. So the Pirates were right in the middle for the NL last year in terms of uh, NL ERA, uh, and the Brewers were just a tick above them, just under four. So they actually were a little bit above average. Well, so hold on a second. Is, does does yeah. this make more of an argument for going out and getting a guy like Keuchel then, just paying the money for him because they need that stability in the rotation? Yeah, I think you. I think you could definitely make an argument for that. Yeah, I think that it. I think if you go and get Keuchel, that is the argument, and it is the best argument for it. And I, like I said before, I'm 100 percent on board for it. Just want people to understand what they're getting into with it. Yeah. Okay. So speaking well, of other. That like bad things could happen. Okay. Uh, speaking of other potential free agents, um, we get a lot of questions about second base. Should we just get to the point right now where we admit that they're going to go with a lot of guys early, but Kesson here is the guy this season? I mean, maybe there are still like a hundred free agents out there. There are, but I, it, you know, we're talking about they seem to be connected to the to Keuchel as the the most likely free agent at the moment. I'm just saying, like, have we gotten to the point where we just need to say, no, Keston here is going to be the guy this year. It's purely service time manipulation is the reason he's not going to start in the major leagues. Oh, yeah, I think that that. Yes. Yeah, I do. I'm I think on board with that as well. Yeah, I think Keston here is the guy that they're going to have at second base. It's just a matter of like. But like at the same time, if you said in two weeks they sign Josh Harrison and he's going to be the starter at second base on opening day, like yeah, I could absolutely see that. Sure, I don't think it's. But I nobody, nobody will, would say Josh Harrison's to... the guy long term. No, no, absolutely not. But the one thing that Josh Harrison brings then is the ability to play multiple positions afterwards, right? And at a at a competent level. And that's what it's going to have to be. Is they're going to have to see somebody really want to come in and be willing to be part of that. I think that's the other big thing here is, and it gets, I, I think this gets lost oftentimes is guys are going to go where they think they have an opportunity to play and to showcase their skills so that they can get their next contract. When you're talking about not getting a guy for, for two, three, four, five years, but when you're talking about a guy, especially on a one-year contract, maybe maybe a two-year contract, guys are going to want to go where they feel like there's opportunity to play. And so they're not going to be as interested in giving a team like yours necessarily a big discount to go and play for one year if they're not sure what their path to playing time even is. Especially guys at this level, they're looking for a way to get on the field so they can get their next deal. And I would, I would think somebody like Josh Harrison would be totally in that group of people who would say, I want to go someplace where I see a clear path to at-bats and getting on the field. And so right now, the Brewers, I think if you're, if you're a, a person who knows what you're looking at, I mean, look at, look at what BP rated the, the Brewers' top five or top 10 under 25. BP said Hero was the best guy. He was ahead of Hater. He was ahead of Burns. He was ahead of all those people. Here is a really, really good young prospect. Like a really, really good, probably the best hitting prospect we've seen come through the Brewers system since uh, Brian Braun. So guys aren't stupid. They're going to see that, or if not them, their agent's going to see it and say, look, you've got this guy behind you. You may end up getting squeezed to a, a you know a fringe bench role by the middle of the year when when Hura is up and if he's doing well. So that could stand in the way of signing some of these people that 
you know, people want to bring in, whether it's Josh Harrison or we had some questions about Derek Dietrich. These guys have to see a path to playing time to want to give a reasonable contract to the Brewers. You know, Man, Derek, Derek Dietrich couldn't even find regular playing time with Miami, though. Like, but what I would a question and not, you know, and I apologize for a question. Uh, if for both of you, you've got the ability, say, for 20, I, I, I don't care what the contract is, just in terms of like the actual player on the roster. If you got to choose one, would you rather have Marwin Gonzalez or would you rather have Dallas Keuchel? Uh, Keuchel, hundred percent. Yeah, I choose Keuchel just because. Again, we were going through the through the rotation earlier, and it just seems like that's a bigger question mark that they need to settle. That's interesting. I I'd, I'd take Marwin every day of the week over Keuchel. I just I I think being able to you have enough quality bat, and we see that every single every single year. You cannot get enough in terms of uh, quality depth and, and bat. Of course, uh, across the entire year, I Marwin mean, can even play shortstop. And if you, all of a sudden, like Orlando Garcia is having trouble, like you need to have, it's either like would right now probably Dubon the guy who would step in, which there are pretty big question marks. But if you could say you can have Marwin Gonzalez step in for a week to be able to 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 play there, that looks good. And you know, you can I can I can see that play. as an argument if you want to say that there there's enough question marks about Orlando Arcia that you wanted to make a signing like that. That that would make well, sense to me. But if it's purely like, do you want somebody to play second base right now? No, I wouldn't. I don't feel no, the need to just plug that as a whole. Marwin, Marwin Gonzalez is like had 500 at-bats last year playing different positions, right? Like he he's a guy who offers starter level offensive production at third base, shortstop, second base, corner outfield, first base. Sure. And so if you want to say like he is your guy that can pin just in case there are injuries, just in case there are platoon issues, just in case Orlando Arceus take that back, just in case, you know, like you can go down the line and all of these things. And so for me, uh, it doesn't hurt that I really like Marwin Gonzalez, but I just think that right now there are things that teams are doing to be able to optimize pitching in terms of manipulating the bullpen, talking about doing things like the opener, talking about relying on starting rotation. The best thing for you is to get as many quality bats as you can. Yeah, I can see it. You know, there are a lot of ways to, I think, improve that. This team is not perfect. There are plenty of holes, so there are a lot of ways to improve it at any point. Of course, Marwin is waiting for Manny Machado to, you know, finally have a home. Exactly. Yeah. Waiting for the rest of the market to shake out always makes a difference too. Uh, Hey, Ryan, what do you think is the best giveaway this year at Miller Park? I haven't even looked. What? I thought you would have been all over that. I think there's some bobbleheads. I, I have not even looked. There's probably some backpacks or something. I'm sure there are. There's usually bobbleheads and usually, I don't know. In my ticket group, those games tend to go first. So I don't tend to get bobbleheads very often. What's your, is is there a yearly giveaway that's usually your favorite? Like something that they do every year? Um, not off the top of my head. Have you had a favorite in the past? Um, I mean, are we I just don't think so? I, are we just showing that this isn't a giveaway group right here? We're not the best no, ones we're not, to discuss that's that. That's not really my thing. That's not. Oh yeah. no, I'm 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 a big fan of bobbleheads. Do you have a collection of them? 
I don't have a huge collection of them, but I have individual ones that I really like, and not all of them are brewers related. One of my favorite ones is uh, when I lived up in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, getting a St. Paul Saints um, bobblehead, and actually it I've had it, but um, so it's it's in our household now, and it is um, Saint Peter wearing you know good old church robe with a bat and a and a Bible that says St. Paul Saints on it. It's it's an excellent bobblehead. Nice, Ryan. Any other souvenirs that you have that you you enjoy? You still hold on. I to? I mean, I do have a a bobblehead collection, but most of it's probably from the two thousand five to two thousand ten era bobbleheads. Well, um, and we, only we have to remember added. That's when they kind of started doing it, so it was novel at that time. Now they've been doing it for so long that, like, the novelty of having like bobblehead days is. Like, it's just expected. You have, like, one a month. Well, and, like, my wife does not like when I get them. So she, like, will roll her eyes at it and be like, can't we just give it away to somebody? Can't we, like, get rid of it? She doesn't want more of that stuff. Um, I'm looking at the full list right now. Uh, The fanny pack on June 23rd, that's – I did not think fanny packs were ever going to come back, and apparently they are. Um, I I blame millennials. Man, don't you – you work in a grade school. How have you not recognized that no. fanny packs are back? Oh, no, I know they're back. I never thought they would, and I understand that they are. So. I, I think the fanny pack, that would complete your uh, Aquafina Think Fast Challenge outfit that we uh, posted this weekend, if everybody wants to see that. Yeah, thanks. That's, the, yeah, that haircut was so bad. I uh, think my favorite part but I think my favorite part of that is that you, like, I mean, Immediately honed in on the haircut, and all of us were like, "That wasn't what we were looking." <laughs> there, there are so many things we should have just circled up that whole whole photo just to point everything yeah, out no, that was wrong. That so, was here's good. a question: Do they dare? Because the I'm looking at the Josh Hader bobblehead. No, they do Sunday, not invite you to the Aquafina Think Fast Challenge again. No, do they for the Josh Hader bobblehead? Do they dare? Because right now the the shadow that they have of it on their web page. Um, has a, a big puff of hair coming out from behind his head, but it isn't clear if that's going to be real hair. You think they dare to do that again? Because that was that was a thing. Well, I mean, Josh, uh, H- J- let's let's just say it. Josh Hader is a little bit different than Derek Turnbow, who was you know just picked off uh, picked up off the trash heap, turned into a, a usable reliever for a season, and then a dumpster fire. Like that wasn't surprising. The Hader's got some pedigree. Sure, haters got some pedigree, but still, I mean, if they decide to go with the real hair bobblehead again, I mean, is Josh out about that? Is Josh Hader's hair long enough to produce that many bobbleheads from his real hair? <laughs> I I don't know. I haven't measured it myself. So to, I just wanted to. I just pulled up like so for second baseman still. Um, there are still like Josh Harrison. There's still. Uh, Solarte, there's still Marwin Gonzalez, there's Logan Forsyth, right? There are some guys who can definitely come in and be useful additions over the course of the entire year. But I was looking at other guys, like Adam Jones is still out there. Like, there are so many guys that are legitimate big leaguers that just do not, like Carlos Gonzalez hasn't signed yet, Adam Jones hasn't signed yet, Bryce Harper hasn't signed yet, Hunter Pence hasn't signed yet. Um, Like, you, you've still got your Josh Harrison, you've got your Mike Moustakis, you've got your Manny Machado, you've got, a, well, I, I don't know if Jose Reyes counts as a legitimate big leaguer anymore, but um, 
like there are just so many good players still out that Lucas Duda still has a role that he can play. Hanley Ramirez. Well, I don't know if Hanley Ramirez can do anything anymore, but there are, there are a lot of good players still out there that still can do stuff. I mean, I don't feel too bad for him. It'll get figured out. They'll end up on a team. I, I also suspect that teams will sign them. Um, like they don't need to be with the team already. Spring training so, hasn't started. They'll they'll be in shape. They do off season workouts and stuff. So I will. Outside of Hater, the Brewers had three left handed relievers on their big league squad last year. Can you remember all three of them? Uh, Brian Schaus, <laughs> Dan Jennings. Dan Jennings, yeah. You are under Schaus arrest. <laughs> Dan Jennings, the guy they got Cedeno. from the White Sox. Yeah. Yeah. Sedanio, Xavier Sedanio. There was another one. Boone Logan was there for a minute. Yep. yep. Boone Logan. So that's all three of them. And all three of them are still unsigned. Well, Boone Logan remained unsigned during last season after the Brewers cut bait on him. Boone Logan did. Yes, he did. He did remain unsigned. But so, there are still like Craig Craig Kimbrell's out there. AJ Ramos, Bud Norris is still out there. Drew Storen can still find a home. Sergio Romo was was good was pretty good last year like there are so many good teams and when when do when are pitchers and catchers two weeks yeah we got a couple weeks i i don't i don't have the official i'm not a countdown person like that so i don't don't know exactly well it'll be interesting to see if like all of a sudden we start to see all of these guys go at once or if it is going to bleed into spring training i think last year we talked about the fact that like free agents were going to help kind of have their own free agency spring training, but they didn't want teams or scouts to be there because they didn't want it to be a tryout, which I think is is right. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you're going to have people not sign on purpose to still see if you, they can kind of like pick it off. But do you think that guys are going to go in like huge quantities over the next couple of weeks or is it going to bleed into March? I think it'll bleed into March, but it's... I think the pace will probably pick up pretty good once guys start reporting to camp. Well, I think we're waiting for one big domino to fall. I think that either Harper or Machado signing, you know, but last season did, did that domino ever fall when Darvish signed? Did that really change everything from that point on? I'm trying to remember exactly how, what I don't really remember. Yeah. Those starting pitchers signed pretty late. Like Alex Cobb, didn't he sign like well into camp with the Orioles? I thought yeah, it was like so. almost when the season started for Cobb. I think one of the most interesting things going to be like, especially for pitchers, for for position players, you don't need a lot of time to get ready, right? Like Ryan Braun has talked about that for years. Like, well, Ryan Braun's a different kind of hitter than most, but he's like, I don't need that much time. I can just go. Um, for pitchers, they need time to get ready. Well, especially and, if you're a starter, they need time to build up the workload. They need yeah, time to, to stretch out. Absolutely. And so I wonder if like for relievers, they maybe don't need as much time to get ready, but I would imagine that Keiko's going to have to sign soon. I, he can't let it go for too long. Well, when Kyle Loesch signed late with the Brewers, because when did he sign with the Brewers? It was like early March, right? It was like a few weeks already into camp. Yeah, he was he was two or three weeks behind everybody else once he got to camp as far as getting right, ready but for the he, season. Well, no, because what he did is he uh, he went and like pitched like against high schoolers or JUCOs or something um, and was doing his own stretching of himself out. So he was ready to sign and come in. And I think he... I think he missed like one turn through the rotation. I say he was, a, yeah, he right. was a little behind still. 
but he like he missed like one turn through the rotation. He started like game. Oh, you're talking like, about he was, nine he was an older p- older pitcher who wasn't exactly a fireballer going out there. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Which I mean, to be fair, the vast majority of guys who are starting pitchers and are out there are are still that way. So I I I need Edwin Jackson to sign with another big league team, uh, to complete the uh, the full and circuit, not, and not the birds, but. There was somebody talking about the fact that, like, for the Hall of Fame, like, what would you do if you have like a 15 year MLB career or something like that? You should, or like a 20 year MLB career, you should like automatically make the uh, the Hall of Fame because like you've been around for so long. Edwin Jackson's like getting close. I'd be for that. I could see that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't I argue. Just, they've they've already put in so many guys that are marginal, anyways. I don't have a problem with that. Well, and it just Let's be a thing crazy. that just. Be, It'd be weird. You'd be you'd walk in there and you'd be like, God, he played for 20 years. That is something to say for 20 years, though. I mean, it really yeah. is. It, it, you would. I always assumed if you made it 20 years, you were exceptional because you were called up early and you had to be great because you played for that long. Yeah, like, absolutely. And if, it, you, if they play 20 players, years, it seems like that guy has to be a Hall of Famer because how else were you around for that long? Right. And I think that that's like, and so you get guys potentially like Edwin Jackson, who you'd be like, you know, all of these guys who were just incredible big leakers over the course of their career, you know, were fringe major or fringe hall of famers or were actual hall of famers, whatever. And then you'd get like five guys. You were just like, huh, how were you around for so long, <laughs> man? You'd have a bunch of old loogies just bumping around in the hall of fame. They'd have a loogie yeah. wing. They should Jesse, the Jesse Orozco Memorial wing of the, uh, the well, I think he's still around. It wouldn't have to yes, be more. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so anyways, okay, before we get too deep into the weeds on that, we're going to wrap up the show for this week. And we have a couple uh, new patrons. So JP, you want to give them a shout out? Absolutely, I do. Uh, and so got a couple of names that I apologize if I mispronounce here, but a huge thank you to Jake's, I believe it'd be pronounced Swans or Swansea. And then uh, Joseph Mar- Marcinchik. I'm we're, gonna that. we're just going to let you twist in the wind on this one. Well, I was going to say, Joseph, if I mispronounce your name, I apologize, but just give me a shout on Twitter or, or yell at us on the ML, uh, MKE Tailgate Twitter account that we mispronounced your name uh, because I, we do want to make sure that we pronounce it correctly. Or he has a direct line to message us on Patreon. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not joking about that. If we mispronounce your name, let us know. Yeah, we, we can do a, we can do a redo next week if it's if it's bad enough. So anyways, uh, don't forget, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate, submit questions to Milwaukee's tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and on Spotify. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.